So today we are in the book of Acts, um, chapter 9, and I'll start reading in verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged them, Please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may have a seat. So we are going through a series out of the book of Acts. The book of Acts in our Bibles is telling the story of what happens after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, then what happened with his followers. And what happened with his followers is the Holy Spirit got poured out, the Spirit of God came in them, and they were to carry on what Jesus was doing. Jesus was giving the message of God, Jesus was making way, so they were supposed to speak about Jesus and represent Jesus through the power of God, spreading the love of God. So last um, summer, we went through how those stories of what happened in Jerusalem immediately after, in the years immediately after Jesus uh, uh, ascended to heaven. But then this, this summer, a few weeks ago, we started into, so what happened when all of a sudden there was this opposition against, against these early believers? There was people getting arrested, someone even getting killed, and they had to spread, and that looked really bad. It looked like really bad news for the church, really bad news for the people that were trying to make Jesus known, but God actually used that to take this, these people and put them into places that were not, um, that were not uh, right in Jerusalem or right in Judea, into places that hadn't heard about Jesus. And so we got to hear some stories about, about Philip and a little bit about Peter and John and how they spread the news. Now, we're switching that, so, th so today we're going to get into talking about Peter. What does Peter do for the next several weeks? What does Peter do to take this e message even further, to bring Jesus even further to people who don't, don't know about him? But in this particular passage that Camille just read, it is about Peter going to visit people on the outskirts of where, he was, where God was moving and, and visit all the people in the Lord. So he, he goes to this person named Anus. He's a... That was going to be my joke, and instead I just accidentally said it. Aeneas. Anyway, he goes to that person, and um, he finds him. He's paralyzed, and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. The guy that's been paralyzed for eight years gets up. Boom. Then he goes to another place. He hears about, about Tabitha. I know a lot of Tabithas. I don't know why the Bible has to give her the Greek version of Dorcas. I don't know a lot of Dorcases. I know some Dorcases. Some people think I'm a Dorcas. I cannot 
not make that joke. Sorry. But anyway, Dorcas is in the Bible, but this, this Tabitha is dead, and, and the details are pretty specific. Like, she's been washed. It's not like she just stopped breathing for a, for a minute or so. It's been like they prepared her body. She is dead, dead. And he comes, clears out the room, gets on his knees, prays, and then says, Tabitha, get up. And she gets up. And she's alive again. And people are amazed. Now, my question in reading these stories is, what are we supposed to do with this? What, what, how do you and I apply this message. Great stories, great stories that Peter came and that somebody who was paralyzed for eight years got raised up and could walk again. That's awesome. Someone who was literally dead and who many people cared about because she did so much good for the community. It evidently was a death, uh, an age where before it should have come. Why? He raises her from the dead. That is awesome. You and I, this week, how are we going to take this passage and actually live it? How would that work? What would, we, what would that look like? Do we go look for paralyzed people and say, Jesus Christ heals you? Do we, do we go to funerals and say, get up, or find out when people have died and get up? My guess is oh, nobody in this room, maybe there's a few exceptions, are going to think to do anything like that. There are some who are, are saying, Jesus said, and he did say, Go, heal the blind, heal the deaf, raise the dead. Jesus says to do that. People did it in the stories that we have in the Bible. It's still happening today. There are still verifiable accounts of not just healings, instantaneous, miraculous healings, but people who were dead, clearly dead, certified dead, coming back to life. All that is that's true. But I wonder if at least for us, most of us in this room, that wouldn't be a very good next step. I even wonder if every situation like that is what we're, what we're supposed to do. Like, are we really supposed to go around to every person that's dead and try to raise them from the dead? Is that what Jesus really had in mind when he said, go and raise the dead? I'll get to that in a moment. But here's my question. Is there anything in here, what, I just, what Camille just read, what I just kind of summarized, that you can take and you can do something with? Well... Let's take a look. I think so. So he's in this place, and he finds a guy that's been paralyzed for eight years. Now let's look at verse 34 and 35. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, Here's one thing I want you to see about the, both these stories. There is something that follows at the end. Here's what follows at the end. Lots of people turn to the Lord. The, par, the, the fact that he was paralyzed was one thing. The big thing is that people turn to the Lord. The Bible talks about signs and wonders, especially a lot in Acts. Jesus did signs and wonders, but actually... Jesus' followers, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, were doing signs and wonders too. Signs. Signs aren't the thing. Signs aren't the goal. A sign points to something else. The sign was pointing to, look who God is. Look what God's like. Look who Jesus is. Let's point to that. And this was a sign, a paralyzed person becoming not paralyzed anymore. That's a sign of who God is, of what God does, of 
what his heart is like. And people see that sign and they get pointed to, we want to turn to the Lord. The sign points people to the Lord. Now, let's frame it a little differently. Are there any, could we, could even you and I be part of being signs or activity and prayers that, are, that create signs that point other people to the Lord? Now there's a little bit more of a possibility. Now, what I just read in verse 34, what strikes me about that in verse 34 is that this is not what it says. It does not say, Peter saw a paralyzed man, and he went up to him, and he prayed for him to be healed. It doesn't say that. It does not say he prayed for him to be healed. It says, Peter saw a paralyzed man, and he said to the man, get up and walk. Jesus Christ heals you, get up. Now, that's pretty bold. If you know someone who's really sick, if you know someone who's in, you know, in some, had a serious injury, to go up and, and say, hey, can I pray for you about that? That's one thing. To go up to the person and say, Jesus Christ heals you, that's another thing. Now, I'm going to get... I'm going to get to, with the second story, how Peter maybe got to that place. <clears throat> but here's what, I'm, here's what keeps coming to mind in this first part of the story. Is that there is someone who is paralyzed. And someone speaks, including speaking the name of Jesus, in a way that, that cuts through, that takes away the paralyzation. Now, in how many ways have you and I felt paralyzed. You ever feel paralyzed by the relationships you're in? This person saying this, this person saying that. I don't I, if I do this it'll make it worse, but if I don't do anything it'll make it bad. How, financially feeling paralyzed in your job, feeling paralyzed, situations where you feel paralyzed, health issues that have you feeling paralyzed. And how do we talk about these situations in which we feel paralyzed? So when I first came here, I had, I had, uh, had to have surgery for my back. The surgery was in some ways successful, but there was permanent nerve damage. And for a year to two years, I really didn't get better. I couldn't put up my own socks and shoes on. And so what I would think in my mind is there's a lot of mental energy, and a lot of you know this when you're dealing with something like this, there's a lot of mental energy that goes to managing, like, how am I supposed to deal with the pain I have all the time, and how am I supposed to, how do I get better? How do I get better? Because if I sit all day, it makes it worse. If I move around too much, it makes it worse. If I knew what was making it better, I could deal with the pain and just do what I need to do to get better. The thing that wore me out was not knowing, like, how much was too much physical exertion, and how much was too much sitting back, and it's just paralyzing. And so what do I talk about when people ask me about it? I talk about that. I talk about I don't know what to do. I talk about this makes it bad. I talk about and I am speaking in, honestly, and there's good places to honestly process, but what I'm speaking in is I'm paralyzed. I'm paralyzed. This is bad. I'm paralyzed. This is bad. Simultaneously in that, though, all throughout, I had many, I know many people praying for me, and I had many times where people literally stopped to pray for me. When you are in that situation where, okay, we're in month nine now, 
We've had 20 different people, you know, probably more than that, people pray for me, and it's just still like, and is it better? No. You start to think, like, I don't even want to ask people to pray for me anymore because it just feels like, oh, it's not even going to make it any better. There was a time two years in where I'm at a healing prayer conference. It's actually, it was, it was here in Iowa, but it's the same people, for those of you who are here on Easter, it was the same people leading it that were in Jacksonville, Florida. And I hadn't been to anything for years with them. So they're there, and they have like a specific, like praying for exactly what I have. And anybody here, you know, stand up. So I stand up, and there's people that come around me, and they start praying for me. And when they're praying for me, I, you know, you can believe me or not believe me. Maybe I'm hallucinating. But I am feeling, it feels like bolts of electricity are coming in and out of me. It just, that's what it feels like. It feels like bolts of electricity coming in and out of me. At that prayer conference is one of my friends who's a seer, probably the person I would trust most that they, when they say, this is what I saw in the spiritual realm, when they describe it, it matches what I am sensing is happening in the room. So they, they come over. I didn't even know they were watching. They said, I was watching while the people were praying for you. There were two angels that were coming in. They were coming back and forth, back and forth, and I saw purple lightning like electricity coming in and out of your body. All of that should be really encouraging, except I didn't get any better. I didn't feel any better. So in the midst of this, I still feel paralyzed. My leg still feels numb. But here's the thing. I tend to, because I read uh, an event like this in the Bible, where something happens instantaneously, I tend to judge these kind of prayer times by what happens instantaneously. Five seconds later, anything feel better? No. No, didn't work. Didn't work. Now, I don't know at what point which prayers were activated, but last year, for the first time in 10 years, I golfed. They thought I might never golf again. Last year, for the first time in more than 10 years, I skied downhill. My leg, my, my leg's still numb right now. I still have permanent damage. But I am not where I was 10 years ago. Is it possible that different people praying the name of Jesus, speaking the name of Jesus, speaking positive things, counteracted all of the negative that was it? My opinion? Here's my opinion. My opinion is every time people ask Jesus or in Jesus' name for God to come into a situation, he comes and brings goodness. If we come and pray for him about healing for someone, it may not look like the exact healing we wanted, but his goodness comes every single time. Every single time it matters that we pray. Every single time. And, and sometimes, occasionally, we see things happen quickly where it's like, whoa, that had to be God. But I think a ton of times what happens is it is so subtle that we think, well, it could just be a coincidence. But here's the deal. There's just way more coincidences that I see and notice when there's more prayer, when there's more Jesus. And again, it's prayer, but it's also speaking in. How do we speak into the situation? So uh, I, I, I got, I work with somebody whose house isn't done yet. Their house isn't done yet. There's a lot of things. They have to, they have to live in a house that's not yet done. You know what they don't say all the time? I never hear this like, yeah, the house isn't done, and this kitchen, and then I got it in, and it's really, all I heard is like, we have a toilet that works now. 
It's been great. We have a toilet that works now. Now that is kind of a speaking in. How we're speaking in. My situation is paralyzed. The house stinks. I hate what's happening in in this house. Yeah, and that's the reality you're going to live in. That's the reality that's going to be front and center. That's how I live my life. That's what people hear me saying. This is what's not right about this. This is what's not right about this. This is what's not right about this. And someone comes in and says, hey, something can move forward here. Changes perspective. So, in the first thing, in situations where we feel paralyzed. I got another one quick. So, I have a situation where there's a group of people interacting. I'm in the midst of it. I see things happening. And I could say something about what's, what's going wrong or how people are injuring each other. And I'm in a position where I probably should. However, if I speak that in, I have this sense, this feeling that a person is going to uh, basically get so offended that it, it gets worse. Like now, now, now they're mad at me too, even though I'm not a primary player in this. But if I say nothing, I also see things getting worse. Just maybe not for me. And so this, has, this is consuming me. It's consuming me. It's consuming me. Do I do it? Do I not do it? If I do it, what would I say? Oh, I, you know, when you're thinking in your head, you have all the things of that you'd say really, you know. But then when you get in the moment, one of two things happen. You say it really sheepishly or you're a jerk. I mean, at least this is how my, my things tend to happen. So I have two men who I told this about, and they are praying for me. And one, one gentleman, who I may tell another story about later, he, he is just getting into praying for people. He's just starting to read the Bible. But he sent me a text, and the text said, hey, I'm praying for you about this situation, because I told him about it. And I noticed that when he sent me the text, that was the first day in over a week where it wasn't consuming me. Where I thought, you know what? This, I can just speak it. Did the praying in the name of Jesus help take me out of this feeling paralyzed about, I don't know, I'm going to make the situation worse? Now, is that something you can apply to your week? Are there situations where you feel paralyzed, but you yourself and or you ask someone else, please pray about it and see if Jesus has you less paralyzed? Because I think most of the time, we, I don't know what to do, I don't know, maybe I'll throw up a prayer or two, but I don't actually expect anything to happen. But the more I'm intentional the more I maybe have a couple other people pray specifically about something, the more, it could be a coincidence. could be a coincidence that I just was more peaceful that day. But boy, that text came from a guy I've never got a text from before saying that they're praying for me right then. Could we pray in the name of Jesus? Okay, next story. Gal is sick, gal dies. Peter clears the room. Verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Jesus, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Let's go on to verse 42, Jill. This became known all over Joppa, 
and many people believed in the Lord. So the first story, all kinds of people turned to the Lord because they saw the sign that pointed to Jesus. The second story, many people believed in the Lord because they saw this sign. Now, this is quite a sign. They knew she was dead. She's not dead anymore. She's alive. Here's what I noticed about the story. Peter, he gets down on his hands and knees to pray. And he prays. But again, he doesn't pray, God, if your will is to raise her from the dead, please raise her from the dead. That's not how he does it. Well, that's not what we get recorded. Maybe he did pray that. But after praying for a while, he says, Tabitha, get up. Speaks to the dead body, and it happens. Again, what? I mean, I, you're just not going to see me at a, I don't think. Maybe you will. I, it, it, would, it would take the Lord saying, like, you need to do this, but to speak to a corpse, get up. But that's what happened. Here's what I want us to know about Peter. If we were putting this in the context of all the stories, what we know about Peter is that he was going to prayer at the time of prayer in one of those stories we talked about last year. They went to prayer multiple times a day, prayer and worship, together, every day. The believers did it at set times. Every day they did it. Not this week, but next week, Peter's going to come back into a story, and we're, we're going to see at the time of prayer, he's praying. This time it's in a home because he, can't, he isn't by the place where they gather to pray, but he is a person who has a life of prayer and worship. So when you get to the moment where it's really hard, when you get to the moment where you don't know what to do, when you get to that moment, you know, you could say like, well, now that this really bad thing, now God help. And, and it's amazing. A lot of times he does. But there is something about a person whose lifestyle is prayer and worship. That they're somehow in tuned to know this is the moment. This is the moment when I'm going to do it. Again, what I want to say is that I don't know when, what the Lord wants to do when he wants to do things. But what I do know is he is always for us and always going to do something when we pray. Now, some are of the opinion that he might always want to raise people from the dead. Jesus and death are enemies. That is true. But the same person, Apostle Paul, who wrote, Jesus and death are enemies, and Jesus has defeated that, that enemy, also writes, for me, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, death is almost a friend. It, not a spirit of death, not like a suicidal kind of thing, but a sense of, like, I, to, to be with the Lord like that is so much better. That's what I can't wait for. So right now I'll live my whole life for Jesus, but what I can't wait for is to actually be with Jesus. And death is the passageway for that. So when it's my time, I'm ready to go. Here's what I think has happened a bunch of times here over years. So let me just give some examples from last month. This is examples. My first example is going to be a family friend, but the other examples are like right here in the last month. In the last month, my folks call me. One of their closest family friends had a stroke. He's not yet retired. He's an active person. He has a stroke. He's in a coma. He's unresponsive. They ask to pray. They ask us to pray. They have gathered family around because it seems like it's getting close to time. And 
he opens his eyes. And he starts to talk. Maybe he wasn't in a coma. He, just, he wasn't able to talk. But it was getting to the point where they were gathering the family because it's looking like it's the end. And instead, after a bunch of people pray, he's able to talk. Maybe that's a coincidence. But here's what the doctors thought was going to happen. And people prayed, and life was extended. One thing about Tabitha, she was not technically, theologically speaking, technically, she was not resurrected. She was resuscitated. To be resurrected means you will never die again. Jesus was resurrected. He now has his supernatural body, his body that will last forever. He had, and we all one day, the Bible says, who are in Jesus will be resurrected with him, and we will get bodies that never are destroyed, that never get sick, that never feel We will have that experience. But when Jesus raised people from the dead, like Lazarus or, or a girl, when Tabitha got raised from the dead, they still died. They were, their just life was extended. And why I'm telling these stories is because I think our prayers matter for life to be extended. I think there's all kinds of people in here who would testify, prayers have extended my life, or prayers have extended a family member's life. So this last month, someone, we prayed for someone, we thought they're going to, it could be a diagnosis that could be really bad, we thought that, okay, but we're praying, we have faith, we have a good feeling, and what comes back? No, it's really serious, the cancer's so bad, three to six months to live. So we keep praying, albeit at least me, with way less faith that something's going to come of it. And the doctor always, in situations like this, where it's this dire, does a second look. No cancer. It's the first time in their career that when they did the second look, when they saw it one way and saw it the other way, there was no cancer. Maybe that's a coincidence. I'm just telling you, the coincidences increase the more that people pray. I'm blanking on a couple of the, the other ones. I think there were two, two more last month. But here's what I do know in last month. We have a, we have a group of guys who get together and do Bible studies. There's a, I, there's a group I'm not in. There's another group. And here's what we do every week. We do this little Bible study, and then we say, hey, um, get together with somebody else. And right before you go, tell them one thing you want the other person to pray for. Exchange cell phone numbers and tell them you're praying. And I mean... Over and over again, it's like, well, this happened. So one guy says, hey, I'm teaching my class, and stressful, stressful teaching. I'm just trying to get through everything, but I want to be more than just someone who gets through everything. I want to actually impact the kids, but I don't really have the heart for them. Some of these kids are goofballs and, and, and worse, you know, maybe. And so, and so the guy's like, well, I'm going to pray for you for that. Now, that gets forgotten. Days go by. And then there's a morning where kids come in and just... Early, there's a natural connection, and there's a caring, and there's a connecting, and without trying to work it up or thinking, because I want to be a good teacher, it's just, just natural. Like, he was enjoying the kids, he was, and there was a, things happening. And then, an hour later, he gets a text from that person that says, hey, I was praying for you, praying for you this morning. Again, maybe it's a coincidence, but maybe these are signs pointing to the fact that Jesus wants to be active among us, that he wants to take our everyday circumstances and just move among us. What you see in here is that, you know, God is in charge over all, but he often just moves through people. He's waiting for people to pray. He's waiting for people to ask. He's waiting for people to speak it in the name of Jesus. Will you do that?
Will I do that? How much do we do that? Because people are needing signs that turn them to the Lord. I'll have the worship team start coming up this way. <coughs> They're in the back. It's... Anyway, they're needing signs to turn to the Lord. And the more we pray, the more we're willing to take a risk and speak the name of Jesus, the more signs they see. It's not just unbelievers that need to see these signs. We all need to keep turning to the Lord. We all need things that will keep encouraging our faith. We all need the signs over and over again. And when we don't see the answers to prayer, we don't just throw it all in. Because we've seen the other signs. We know the heart of Jesus, which is pointing to the Lord. Peter had plenty of heartaches, plenty of disappointments, plenty of pain in his life by the time he got to this point. But he knew the Lord Jesus was real. He knew the Lord Jesus was alive. He knew the Lord Jesus' heart was to heal and to bless and for people to know the goodness of God. And so Peter just kept doing it. He kept praying, and he was willing to go to someone and say, hey, I want Jesus into this situation. I don't care how bad it is. I believe Jesus can be into this situation. Could we bring that into this week? Could you bring some of that into this week? Let's pray together. God, where are we paralyzed in this room? I thank you that you can see where we're paralyzed in this room, and you also have the power and the authority to break that, to heal that, to restore that, whether it's physical or financial or relational or organizational. Come into where we feel paralyzed in the name of Jesus. And I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to pray through us, even as we're worshiping, and then into our weeks, that, that no one would leave this room thinking, well, that's just for other people or spiritual people, or, but that any of us that know you would be willing, would leave this place willing to say, I'll be that person. I'll pray that prayer. I'll speak that positive thing. Jesus, just help me to do it. So even in these moments, would you be planting things into our minds? Would you be praying through us? And then this week, would you live your life through us? Would you love this world through us? Move among us now, we ask in your name, Jesus.